Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. We are at episode 506 and very pleased to have Philip Whitmore from KPMG back in the Podcast NZ studio. Thanks, Paul. It's good to be back. Always enjoy these sessions. Well, great to catch up. And actually, I should, probably should correct myself. We're not in the, the Podcast NZ studio. We're in Podcast NZ Studio 2, uh, which is in the process of, of being sort of set up. So let's, let's, let's hope we're sounding good for everyone today. Now, before we jump in, and we, we're going to go through some news bites, uh, some news highlights for the week. Having you here, Philip, means we're going to talk cybersecurity, of course. In fact, maybe you could just remind our listeners or for new listeners that don't know you, where you fit into this world of technology in New Zealand? Sure. So I work for KPMG. I'm a partner there. So we're a consulting firm. Um, and part of that is our cybersecurity practice. So that's, I guess, the role I'm in. Um, keeps us busy. We do everything from design security, test security. Um, and we're always busy, which is, I guess, a good thing. But it'd be nice some days to slow down and not deal with issues. For, for those that uh, maybe not familiar, how big is your cybersecurity team? We're about 31, 32. So, um, yeah, a, re- a, a reasonable a, size for New, for New Zealand. Yeah. 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 Yeah, great. Well, uh, yeah, huge thank you to our show partners who make the New Zealand Tech Podcast possible, and also we appreciate the the incredible work they do to support uh, the technology and innovation ecosystems here in New Zealand. So thanks goes out to Sumo Logic, Vodafone New Zealand, Spark New Zealand, Vocus, HP, Samsung, Gorilla Technology, and our headline partner Umbrella Connect. Now. In our news bites today, Android 11 has arrived. Now, it's a little bit different to when we talk about an Apple operating system when a new version of Android arrives because there will be a very small percentage of our listeners who are running Android 11, and if they are, uh, then they're most likely using a Google uh, Pixel handset that runs on uh, the Pixel 2 upwards. But we will see over the next little while, and and this is where Android is changing, is we're seeing a quicker uptake of those new operating systems. So uh, Oppo have said they're they're going to be uh, launching theirs pretty soon. I still haven't seen any exact uh, dates when I uh, followed up with them this morning, but uh, they're they're one that's quite near the forefront. So that's uh, that that's encouraging, but. There's also Nokia, who tend to be, um, well, they tend to run stock Android or, or very close to it. Uh, so that's one of the one of the reasons that I like their handsets. Uh, and of course, our partner Samsung, well, they tend to be uh, pretty close to the forefront of anything to do with uh, Android. So uh, yeah, no, no doubt uh, we will we will be hearing in due course with with dates. But it's certainly not the same as as iOS, where when it comes out, everybody can uh, can get it right. Now, a uh, few of the highlights, screen recording built in, uh, finally, some Android handsets have had that, but it's nice to have that at an operating system level. One-time permissions now for apps, so you can provide temporary access to maybe your location or your microphone, uh, as well as permissions that automatically expire. Effectively, they 
they reset. So if you haven't used an app for six months and you go back in, you've forgotten that it had access to you know, all sorts of things such as your location, your camera, your mic and, and the like, uh, contacts or what have you, that is now going to actually prompt you again, which I, you know, I think is, uh, is pleasing and a, and a good move on uh, Google's, uh, from Google's perspective. You've got screen to control your connected devices, things like uh, TVs, smart lights and, and whatnot. I haven't actually had a, had a look at that, um, but that'll be interesting to see. It's, I, it's definitely worth looking at. It's, um, yeah. Particularly if Samsung picks it up, Samsung smart homes integration, fantastic. Yeah. So, um, yeah, good to see these things moving forward. Uh, some improvements on the notification front and then their messaging uh, feature uh, bubbles, which really combines messaging from across uh, different apps uh, from a notification perspective and, and facilitating uh, quick replies. Now, on the, the Apple front, uh, they have opened up in the iOS uh, 13.7 release that a lot of, well, most iPhone users who are running a, a modern iPhone will have received over the last uh, few days. And if you've chosen to install it, there is an option in there that looks as though it turns on uh, contact tracing type, uh, type functionality. The only problem is that although it even lets you go in and choose the Ministry of Health for New Zealand, uh, the Ministry of Health haven't actually done their testing and so it's not fully wired up. So they're basically saying the data's kind of going nowhere at the moment. But at least at least it's there. Now, the change to the original Bluetooth contact tracing technology, which uh, Google and Apple were you know, jointly basically putting into their phones with this release, is that it will work with local health authorities without there needing to be a specific contact tracing app. So it doesn't need to be anything extra to install on your phone. Of course, in New Zealand, we do have NZ COVID uh, Tracer app. So yeah, that, um, that functionality may well end up being tied in there. I think I had a look back. It was around April, maybe May timeframe that the Ministry of Health said they were looking at Bluetooth contact tracing. So... Yeah, we, we've heard some of these things do you know, do take some time to, to figure out. I hope that uh, yeah, that will be part of what they what they do because yeah, if we if we have any more outbreaks, we want them to be addressed as quickly as possible. But we, we might we might come back to that <laughs> that topic uh, during the the discussion. Um, now, Philip Byte Dance uh, say they've declined Microsoft's offer to acquire uh, TikTok operations in the US, and instead they're going for a partnership with Oracle. So this idea uh, of maybe selling TikTok to Microsoft, which was you know was big news there for a while, and then there were rumors and noises that maybe others were interested. Now Oracle have come into uh, the picture and have made the announcement that hey they're going to uh, they're going to partner with uh, with ByteDance on on um, those US operations, but there seems to be very little. The announcements seem to be very light on specifics, yeah. so I'm not sure whether this addresses even any of the concerns that that uh, that people have had around the cyber security aspects of of TikTok or the privacy uh, concerns from people that have uh, you know over over time have uh, decompiled uh, the TikTok app to see some of the stuff that it, it did, which wasn't very good. Some of that has certainly been improved, uh, and also this idea of having you know data sitting in China where maybe the government can um, you know poke their fingers in there and uh, and grab what they like 
Yeah, partnership's a really interesting word. What does it mean? Um, does Oracle own TikTok? Does Oracle own part of TikTok? Because I don't think the whole of TikTok was ever up for sale. So what, becomes two TikToks? And how does one TikTok talk to the other TikTok? And where does it suit? I don't know the answer is. It, it's everybody seems happy. Maybe maybe the US is happy. But it doesn't sound that different to we, we don't know, right? No. I, I understand that Larry Ellison, uh, you know, founder of Oracle, has uh, has been quite supportive of you know Trump and his administration, which is actually unusual in Silicon Valley. Uh, so yeah, maybe you know that they have already come to an agreement on, and that this will suit the US government. So uh, I guess we've got a little bit of waiting to see how it plays out. Yeah, is it just a show? Is there actually something behind it? Did they do a little dance when it happened? You know, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and in other news, NVIDIA is buying ARM. Now, this is quite a big deal, uh, you know, partly because of just the you know, size of it, 40 billion US dollar uh, acquisition there from uh, NVIDIA. And it seems like there's an opportunity for them to combine expertise on artificial intelligence. And of course, NVIDIA with their uh, gaming and graphics and, and AI uh, chips that they've been doing so far. The idea is, you know, this this is my impression from the bits, you know, bits and pieces I've I've read on it that there's an opportunity to um, really to leverage the expertise within, you know, the existing Nvidia team, the expertise within the ARM team, and you know, both of them come off better better off on the front of artificial intelligence. And by putting those sort of smarts in, in the chips, where whether it's the chips in your phone, the chips in you know any of the many devices that have uh, chips that that use arms uh, te- or license arms te- technology, uh, you're able to put that artificial intelligence you know right in the end, end you know device without having to necessarily go backwards and forwards to the cloud to get it all done in the cloud for you, which which I think. Uh, is attractive in a lot of cases, isn't it? It'll be interesting because we tend to think that NVIDIA just does graphic cards and and that's it. But I I I think I mentioned it before, I've got a computer down the road. Um, We we might call it a supercomputer of some description and it's purely GPU-driven and I believe it's NVIDIA chips. It's not your standard NVIDIA cards that you get and you might run a Bitcoin miner on it. But, you know, so what, what mark are they moving into? You know, it would be interesting to see what the, what the turns out to be. Yeah, well, and they're also, NVIDIA are also uh, involved in autonomous uh, vehicle, you know, technology. So, you know, that, that's part of the, the artificial intelligence technology that they, uh, they have for you know, so-called self-driving cars. Uh, so yeah, you you can definitely see some some interesting uh, crossovers here of them working together. Now they have Nvidia have said, look, we don't we don't compete with um, general arm licensees. They're saying, hey, we you know we're different. Yes, there's there's always a little bit of crossover from one tech company to another, um, but they're saying that's not not something to worry about. And that they're going to um, apparently keep most of the existing um, things in play. Um, of course, being a, a you know UK-founded uh, uh, business, although it's been owned by SoftBank out of Japan for a you know, num- number of years. So, yeah, really, uh, really interesting to see these uh, these transitions. Also interesting to see how. Um, 
you know, a firm will go in and buy something like Arm. I think it was with SoftBank for not you know not too many years. They SoftBank bought it for about thirty two billion, and you know here, here they are selling it off and uh, po- you know pocketing uh, uh, an eight billion sort of increase there. So it'll be interesting to see what the strategy is. You don't buy something for the fun of it. Yeah. No, no. There's 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 usually a bit a bit more to it. So you know, I think we will have to uh, we will have to watch this one uh, certainly with interest. I noticed you know one of the more recent um, announcements was that uh, Nvidia were working together with uh, Mercedes on on some of uh, the you know technology in their cars. And yeah, Nvidia has lots and lots of partnerships going on. Um, in that autonomous uh, space, so yes, we'll be uh, we'll be curious to see where we're, where where we are in a in a short few years from from now. I mean, it does take quite some time. I, I you know you tend to find for these deals just you know just to get approved and to go through the regulatory processes, and then quite a bit of time uh, to start seeing you know really a whole lot of you know, benefit from from these arrangements. Yeah, it'd be interesting if, if the company changes name Skynet. I might be concerned, but other than that. <laughs> <laughs> Seems positive. Yeah. Now, l- looking a bit closer to home, the Christchurch City Council have shared that they're working to use technology to help them address issues with graffiti. And when I say graffiti, I'm pr- primarily really talking here about the the tagging um, type rather than the you know, real nice street art, shall we say, that's, uh, you know, been been put in places where it's been approved. Uh, apparently they're spending around or close to a million dollars a year uh, to, to eradicate and clean up tagging. I saw a figure recently saying Auckland City Council, their figure's about four times that, it's about four million. So there's a lot of money that goes into uh, these cleanups, and yeah, I'm really curious to to see what they can come up with. Uh, apparently, through their um, the uh, technology partnership that they have, they uh, with a company called uh, Flock out of Christchurch, um, they're going to be looking uh, at using technology to match the the shapes effectively from one to another so then they can get a view of well this person's tag is in all of these uh, locations a sort of you know image recognition AI you know smarts to uh, to see how things match up and I would be interested how many steps further they can take the technology in Sydney going back uh, about five years they were dealing with a much, much bigger problem with tagging a graffiti on their trains, and they put in a system that would, uh, there was a sensor that would actually be sniffing and and trying to uh, recognise uh, that somebody's fired up a spray can. Uh, I don't know how well that how well that's gone, but you you can imagine as the technology advances, we you know we, we would ultimately end up with a with a very very powerful system if we let it go to the nth degree. And I think we have to be a bit careful about this Big Brother stuff, right? So it's is is there is there a product in this that New Zealand could export out to the world, or do we not have a big enough graffiti? You know, type of issue here uh, to ha- to be able to come up with something that would be relevant because it, it, you know if it's a million dollars in Christchurch uh, and you know you've got other um, 
you know, well, pretty much any city around the world is going to be dealing with similar things to a degree. If you could be the company that sort of nails the technology on this, uh, yeah, probably some some good uh, money to be made. It's interesting. I mean, Christchurch to me seems like the technology hub of New Zealand. It really does. I think some of the companies that come out of there, you take communications, you jade, um, and so on and so on and so on. Um, and, and I don't know what drives innovation down there from a technology point of view, but it seems even more so than Auckland, which is interesting for a relatively small city. Yeah, as someone who grew up there, um, it, you know, it, it is a, a really tight-knit uh, place. And, yeah, uh, you know, there, there it is a lot more, you know, connection, I think, than, than in Auckland. Not that it's that hard in Auckland either. When, when, again, we're not a huge city on a, on a global basis um, either, but it is quite tight-knit. Uh, and yeah, it's good. It's good to see innovative, uh, you know, initiatives coming out of Christchurch. And you know, one thing that they've done is they've sort of labelled themselves a smart city. And so, you know, they're they're putting it, you know, putting some pressure on themselves as they rebuild Christchurch. Which look, that's a perfect time to do this stuff, right? Is uh, to you know to be uh, at at the forefront on uh, you know utilising technology in, in smart ways. Yeah, that's interesting. And you're right; it's a perfect time. There's not many opportunities to that. We've got to get to replan a city, and it's turning out to be a fantastic city. You know, I, I love going down there. Winter, not so much. Maybe the coldest thing of innovation. <laughs> you're staying indoors in winter, albeit actually it's not that bad because it's while well, it's crisp during the day, the sun's out and it's lovely and warm. Yeah. But um, you know, it's fantastic. Yeah, I was I was talking to Dad the other day, um, and uh, you know we, we were talking. Yeah, the 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 weather came up. And and then I had a quick, you know a quick look and it was like oh it's actually going to be warmer in Christchurch you know tomorrow compared to Auckland, so uh, it's not al- not always that bad. No, but, uh, it's not. But it, 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 it does tend to, tend to get a little bit uh, um, you know icier than than some other parts of the country. Um, but I mean that that's the nature of a country like ours, which sort of you know stretches north and 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 south. And I you know actually quite like you know getting getting out to the the snow and you know the, those aspects of uh, of the South Island. So yeah, worth. Worth appreciating, um, but yeah, I guess it, it, it's fair to say that a reasonable chunk of the New Zealand population has sort of slowly navigated uh, somewhat north over the over the years, and uh, I'm I'm one of those that is uh, is somewhat guilty of uh, uh, of that. Uh, now, yeah, so we talked about the COVID tracing uh, earlier, and I saw there was a little bit of media coverage. Uh, in the last few days, stuff put up an article saying, you know, some phones are not recording uh, visits on the COVID um, tracer app, and the headline said this was, you know, unbeknownst to users, so people weren't necessarily aware uh, that there was a little bit of an issue here. And this seemed to be um, with some variations between, you know, how things had changed from one version of the app to the other. I've found that their their app, you know, considering this is something that's been built in a you know, in a reasonably short space of time. Actually, I have seen some figures, but I'm not, you know, not sure what the uh, what the budget for it is. But look, I've seen big apps from you know big commercial entities that 
you know, three years down the track from them being launched, they've still got a you know average, uh, you know, rating on the you know um, Google Play Store or um, on the App Store, you know, two point one or something like that. So um, look, easy to throw stones and say the app should be perfect. Yes, I've had a few issues. I went to scan um, scan in somewhere a couple of days ago on iPhone, and you know, it said, look, you've got to uh, you've got to give the app access to your camera and I'm thinking why would I need access to the camera because I've already authorized that and it didn't do that last time so I just you know closed the app reopened it and it didn't ask the same question so a few little oddities but I you know I think now it's uh, starting to go pretty smoothly it's and they've added some features in uh, but I would like to see the Bluetooth uh, you know contact tracing sort of side uh, established so we're covering as many bases as possible yeah look I think it does well I mean most of the hoo-ha and complaints about initially were well the different barcodes we had and we you know started the um, pandemic everyone rolled out every solution they could so it was more that. Though it's interesting, some discussions around um, an ability to access the Play Store, you know, with America having restrictions, Huawei and their phones, how do I find the apps? It's on the Play Store, it's in the, you know, the App Store. Can't access it. Well, that, I, couldn't, that, I couldn't use it from, um, from my, uh, my primary uh, Play Store login as a US account. And it took quite some, you know, it took some time, even though you know most apps tend to be you know available in those other accounts. And of course, you've got people who you know aren't from New Zealand who need to be able to get access to it. Took a little while, but they got that sorted right. So they're getting through these things. Yeah, no, it's great. You know, trying to go somewhere and not see people use it is pretty hard. Yeah, yeah, it's becoming more and more common. And I mean, we, we just had lunch before, and as we were walking out and uh, you know, checking with them how many people were scanning, and the suggestion was that um, look, it's, it's you know, really that someone doesn't scan. I think 99% was sort of mentioned, which that's unheard of in terms of what I've noticed in a lot of places where the sign's not obvious, a lot of people aren't scanning, but I think. Some places are, are making a really good effort. The signs there, you've kind of got a you know a bit of paper to write down your details or to scan, and uh, you know there's a, there's a lot of it going on, which yeah. is, is is great. Although, um, on the so anecdotally, that that's looking like it's heading in the right direction. The most recent numbers I saw from Ministry of Health: two point one million registered users as of I think a, a, maybe a week and a half ago and people were scanning in also 2.1 million times a day on average which is one per person so I think that there's there's quite possibly uh, an issue there where maybe you've got the 2.1 million and from what I've heard we need to be hitting at least 60% of the population which that is, you know is not and then you need those people to be very consistently using it. So I think, yeah, for our listeners, um, look, if you're comfortable with the, uh, the privacy aspects, which you know I think this is at the right end on the from a privacy perspective, but you know some people will will disagree with that. But I, I would think that's. I mean, how do you feel about it as a, uh, you know, and uh, what you do? Have you had any major concerns around their the, their their approach? No, look, I don't get worried about it at all. The information's on my phone. Um, the only because it was actually I had to re wipe my I had to wipe my phone the other day and lost the information. That's actually what worried me. Yeah. Not about what you know the Ministry of Health is doing. Yeah. You know, it, it seems an effective model. It seems to work reasonably well. My eighty year old mother's comfortable with it and uses it. 
I'm not concerned, you know, regardless of whether it's a COVID car, Bluetooth type situation, or this type of situation, I don't think there's a lot to get concerned about. Yeah. If all my data was going to a centralised server, I think about a little bit, probably still wouldn't stop me. Mm. And look, I'm incredibly paranoid. You know, I'm not wearing my tinfoil hat today, <laughs> but, you know, I can see the common good for it. Yeah. And I can see, particularly with the Auckland outbreak, you know, if we could identify where people are being quicker and who those people were, you know, I don't want to go back to level three. No. You know? every, every time that happens, you know, I guess it you know, effectively puts a cost on every 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 person in New Zealand, you know, probably in the hundreds of dollars if not you know, if not more, uh, you know, per person, maybe in the in the thousands, right? So um, that gets spread out. That's that's the cost. Somehow each individual will be impacted differently. Some are going to be a hit a lot uh, more than others, uh, but it's it's a really big it's a big impact. And and um, there's obviously a, there's a health um, risk there as well. Albeit you know in terms of the numbers that we've seen in New Zealand, um, yeah, nothing on the scale of of. Yeah, the US, for instance. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I guess my feeling on that is, yeah, those of us that are that are clued up uh, about it should be, and and you know, understand that the technology uh, should be encouraging that uptake amongst uh, you know family members and, and and colleagues and so on would be would be my thought. Um, you know, we're, we're providing so. far much more information to likes your Googles, your Facebooks, and that, and a lot of us don't worry about that. That's yeah. true, that's true. So, yeah. All right, now, new gadgets. Last week we talked about the new Huawei watch, and it's like there was a quick mention of the Oppo uh, watch, and they've released a uh, 41mm and a 46mm watch that look very much like an Apple watch. Uh, and the first one of those arrived uh, today, so I fired it up, and indeed it, it does look very much like the Apple watch. Uh, we'll put it side by side because Philip was wearing his uh, his Apple Watch, um, and it doesn't have a crown that you can uh, turn. Uh, that little knob on the side, a couple of buttons, and it runs the Google software rather than um, than Apple's. But uh, yeah, they've uh, they've certainly done a a a fair job at making it look like an an Apple an Apple Watch. And the fact that it runs uh, Wear OS from Google means you've got access to the, to that ecosystem. Because uh, the, the Huawei I think came in at two hundred and twenty nine dollars, uh, which was you know pretty impressive price point. These are the start at four hundred for the smaller watch, and then six hundred for the bigger one, which includes I think support for. Uh, an eSIM, so yeah, you're more in the in the pricing range of the the Apple option, um, but you know it's going to be a purchase. So I, I imagine we would see uh, from those that are using uh, Android phones, right? Yeah, look, it's interesting. The only thing I don't like about my Apple Watch is the fact that it's square or rectangular, and now everyone else is trying to imitate that. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, it's a bit like you know. Apple's got white earpods. Now everyone else has got that. Yeah. Um, well, they, they do set, tend to set the standards uh, in a lot of cases between uh, Apple and and you know Samsung on the on the you know the Android side. Uh, you know, a lot of people try to copy, and you know they, whoever the market leader is, everyone everyone looks to right. I mean, these days, uh, you know, it used to be when I was growing up for consumer electronics, TVs and stereos, and I mean, we didn't have so much consumer electronics back then. But Sony was kind of the number one player, and you know, I remember reading about uh, you know Steve Jobs' journey with Apple and 
you know, I think him going and uh, visiting uh, Sony and, and, you know, paying a whole lot of attention to them. And, you know, of course, Apple ended up doing so much better. Uh, now you've, you know, got Samsung on the TV front, which, you know, they, they really, really dominate, uh, you know, that space. And I, I tried out their new 8K TV recently at home, um, which they sent over. Thank you very much, uh, Samsung. It was a real pity you had to take it away again afterwards. Um, yeah, and, and look, you know, you can see, you can see why, um, you know, the, these brands kind of get, get the attention and what they do, uh, you know, gets, uh, um, you know, mimicked or, or, you know, followed by others in, in, in some way. I guess that's why it's happened. You're right, you're right. Mm. Um, it's interesting. I was just hoping for a little bit more innovation. You know, I, you know if I could get a, get a round watch with the capability of an Apple Watch, I'd be happy. Well, I think they might have uh, made a different design choice than what you're looking for. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> <laughs> now, on to um, the world of cybersecurity. Since since you're here, Philip, I think you know we have to take a few minutes to uh, to chat about that stuff. This is what you uh, you know live live and breathe every every day. Now, you shared something on a, a webinar that we were um, we were involved in last week for uh, the Chartered Accountants ANZ last week. Is that something you could um, you could tell us a little bit about? That sure. I, found, I mentioned I found interesting. Not a problem. I, I guess what we're discussing is I, I think often in New Zealand we don't realise the size of the problem locally. Now, certainly we saw the headlines in NZX um, recently and, and we could see there's a problem there. Even though those distributed denial of service attacks had been occurring since late last year. Um, and it came around to what we're discussing about the loss. And I said, you know, over last year, I've got 10 clients, just my 10 clients, who've lost uh, $1.5 million and up each direct loss since your cash gone out the door. This uh, is similar to what happened uh, to the America's Cup team. Uh, very, very, very yeah. similar. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, situation it. It used to happen, used to fax in fake invoices. Now, it's a little bit more sophisticated than that. And, uh, you know, What's happening is these attackers aren't just hit and run, you know, into your email system. They're sitting there for weeks, months perhaps, seeing the conversations going back and forth, working out who's who, looking for that big transaction occurring, and then they're ejecting themselves into the conversation. And, oh, by the way, please change my bank account. Uh, and that's exactly, you know, those 10 organisations, and the largest is about 2.5 million, gone. And it doesn't matter whether you're a small organisation or a multinational, none can afford to lose that much money. No. And it's largely come down to basic security being missing. You know, we make these assumptions about security, and security is mostly transparent or fairly transparent these days, but no, we don't necessarily think about what the risks are. It's, it's IT stuff, it's geeky, I don't understand what it means, now I'm missing $2 million. Um, and one of those companies would no longer be here had its parent not stepped in, and that's a big name you wouldn't see around anymore. Mm, mm. Um, and, and the others luckily had insurance or are still going through the battle right now. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's tough, isn't it? It's, you know, it's, an, it's an area that I think it's easier said than done to resolve it, um, but and maybe maybe I'm a I'm a little bit uh, naive because you know most of the organisations I work with are, are quite small, so it's quite easy to get the message through to finance teams. 
and to give them a very clear process of this is the process you should follow now when you get a you know request to set up a new bank account number or when you get a request to change a bank account number um, but I mean I, I heard it once you know some months back where there was a kind of a deep fake type situation with a phone call and so you know you you could think you're calling somebody to confirm a, an account number and you know if you haven't if you've called say the number off the bottom of the email um, actually yeah you're, you're probably going to be getting the uh, the criminal who's going to be you know pull, pulling your legs so you've got to be you know really quite clear on your processes to um, you know to be able to minimize any chance of getting hit that way right it was the exact conversation I was having last week when you ask a question um, Okay, what happens if an invoice comes and it's going to be bank account number? Oh, we wouldn't pay that. We you know, we'll get scammed. Oh, and what do you do? Oh, we, we check. And you go, well, how do you check? Oh, we, we give them a phone call, we, you know. And, and what phone number to use? Oh, the one off the invoice. And then they said, oh, sometimes. You know? <laughs> so so yeah. that fake invoice is just coming yeah. with a fake phone number. You yeah. sometimes use that to verify yeah. the identity of the person. That doesn't really work. It's like responding to your phishing email going, are you real? Yeah. <laughs> or is this real? The answer's always going to come back yes. You're never going to get a no to that answer <laughs> regardless of who it is. Yeah. Um, I guess that, that, that is how these things work. It's the same as phishing. Um, they're trying to manipulate us. That logical part of our brain switches off yeah. um, because something's urgent, something's important, has to be done now, or, or whatever that reason is. And they play out our emotions and that human element of us. Yeah. The scenario we had with one organisation, which you know, we had uh, talked to around hey, you know, this sort of process you need to follow. Um, they dropped one part out of, the, uh, out of the phone call. So they spoke to the part at the other end and they said, has your bank account number changed? And the answer was yes. Now, they spoke to the right party the, and it just, you know, conveniently the bank account number had changed, but they didn't actually get a verification and get the new account number read out. And, uh, um, you know, fortunately it was a, it was at the very small uh, small end of the scale. Um, but it does highlight, you know, the importance to have actually a really formal process around these things. So somebody having a bad day doesn't, uh, you know, miss, it, miss a trick because they're doing it off the top of their head and or they don't fully understand why they're doing it. And, and hence sort of, you know, skip part, uh, you know, skip through it and, as you say, read the phone number off the bottom of the fake invoice. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it'd be nice not to have to deal with those situations in the future, but, you know, if anything, the, the number of incidents and the size and scale of incidents is rapidly increasing, mm. particularly this year. Just think about the number of times in the media you've seen a New Zealand organisation associated with a security incident, whether it be NZX, whether it be Fisher & Paykel, um, appliances, you know, the common names that we're familiar with, things that we may have not seen before picked up on. You know, we're seeing these things in the headlines more and more often, that literally is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, it's not just these high-profile companies. It is significantly more impacting the average New Zealander and the average New Zealand organisation. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I did a look just, you know, bef- before we uh, before we caught up in terms of, well, you know, there are many of these things going on at the moment because I'd seen, a, uh, seen something in, in New Zealand media mentioning uh, Development Bank of Seychelles was hit. And it's like, oh boy, you know, a, a bank's been hit with a ransomware attack. That's not a, you know, that's not a good situation. I, you know, I wonder how many other people are getting hit. And the, the sheer number um, is just nuts. These things are happening, you know, somewhere every day. 
that are being reported, and of course, most of them aren't at this stage reported. So, the you know the, there really has been a huge uptick, and then of course the costs of the ransoms have gone up, and then there's the the extra. Uh, pressure on people to pay out or organisations to pay out because their data uh, is going to get leaked in a lot of cases, right, if they don't front up. And I'm just thinking the last month, who have I dealt with? I dealt with a, a school, a law firm, a dental firm, um, a government agency, and, and, and there's lots more. Yeah. There, this can sound a bit blunt, but I don't think there's a good reason why you get infected by ransomware. You know, you can put some good basic controls in place. CertainZ publishes some good basic controls to limit the risk. Mm. There's plenty of other ones. You know, Microsoft does a good job. You know, there are some good things you need in place. The problem is we assume that, well, we've got some antivirus software, that will stop ransomware. And the answer is often the answer is no. Yeah. You know, it's part of the solution. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's getting more and, you know, indicated, you know, it's getting worse because those numbers are going up. So you, you ransom, you, you sort of distributed dollar service attacks, ransom, not ransomware, but similar. Mm. Those ransoms are typically started $150,000, and go up. Um, and which, which is a long way from where we, where we were you know, 18 months ago, right? You're yeah. talking, a, you know, a tenth or less, you know, that, that figure was, you know, probably more common. Yeah, or ransomware now, not only is it, okay, your, your computers are all encrypted, you pay, or actually I took the information first, and if you don't pay, I'm actually going to release it. Yeah. So some of the large ransomware ones I've seen in the media recently, that's what it's been, it's almost you know, a double attempt to, to get money out of the organisation. Yeah, yeah, very... Um very powerful and and you know certainly certainly really really concerning. I had a, I had a discussion with a organisation uh, last week, and one of the things that, that my team you know have have done for a, for a long time is work to educate you know our customers, and you know, I imagine you would be involved in some of the you know same same sort of uh, thing, although you know probably uh, generally larger. Uh, uh, you know, larger firms are what we we tend to deal with, but um, the discussion came to somebody who has sort of become a what was the t- what I'm trying to think what uh, what term, but you know someone who would get tricked time and time and time again, um, you know despite being being quite heavily educated, and the point was raised. Well, at at what point does an organisation say actually we actually can't afford to have you in this type of role where where you've got access to data because if you you know end up clicking the wrong thing keying in your credentials the impact for this organization is going to be massive yeah, it's an itch that's, that's quite that's quite hard to get your head around isn't it yeah. that that could that that's potentially the world that we're um, that we're getting into where um, you know, if if someone is just wired in such a way, and they can't remember this stuff, that actually an organisation would would make that sort of call. It's an interesting thought, but you know, some of us a lot are, of pressure are, on on people, yeah. right? Some of us are very trusting, but I, I don't think it's necessary to do that. Um, you know, we do phishing tests, for example, for organisations all the time. We're doing three today. Not once have we had, um, you know, no one, cl- you know, at least click on the link. You know, yeah, they, they might yeah. stop there. Um, it's about organisations of any size. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there will always be people that fall for it. You know, mm-hmm. they're in a rush or they're not quite sure. 
So you, you can stop the coming in the front door to some degree. The next step is about how do you limit the impact? Yeah, yeah. You know, so regardless when someone does fall for it over and over again, how do you make sure that does nothing? And that's what often that focus has got to be. Mm. Education works to a certain degree, but works for a short period of time and for a certain number of people. So the next step is how do you limit the impact when Philip accidentally clicks on it or he does download something a bit dodgy and shouldn't have and it's full of malware. Yeah, That's the bit that's missing. Yeah. We're putting all the, all the effort up front and that works sometimes but not all the time. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to hit it from you know, as many aspects as you can, right, to, yeah. uh, to mitigate the, the risks and but you've got to assume that at some point in time something something's going to happen, even with all of those controls. Exactly. It's not a matter of uh, if, it's when. So then you know, the, the next step is how do you respond to that? Yeah. So have you thought through that process? Have you planned it? If you thought through a process and planned how you're going to respond, the more likely you'll be successful, certainly reduce the impact. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and the quicker you are able to discover it, you know, the less the impact too, right? That it makes, can make a really big difference. Definitely. And the problem in New Zealand, the average time to discover, to discover have you been breached is over a year. You want that under five minutes. Yeah. And, and there certainly are technologies out there that do that incredibly inexpensively. Mm-hmm. But we don't have those. You know, first time we know is the money's missing or now my computer's displaying, computer's displaying some message about paying a ransom. It's a bit late. Mm-hmm. Well, great to catch up. Anything else that you want to want to share, Philip? Before we, uh, well, I know you you've got to uh, to race to speak on a on a webinar this afternoon. Any um, other any other insights you can you can? Uh, no, 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 actually, interesting. The, the webinar is about the DDoS attacks that recently, and the message is about you know being prepared, understanding your risks, understanding how they relate to the, to your business. You know, the NZX thing didn't hit the trading platform hit their website and they're just the one that the organization got featured in the media more than others those uh, denial of service attacks are still happening right now in New Zealand you know are you prepared mm. yeah it's it's a great point because I I think fair to say from certainly the things that I see and I'm I'm, I'm picking you um, are on a similar page with me on this one that our general standard in New Zealand is is a is leans in the she'll be right mate type uh, direction. It is. When I'm talking to international audience. I start going hakuna matata. Yeah. Uh, it really is a she'll be right. Yeah. We're getting better, yeah. but we're well behind other developed countries. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, it's a it's a good message. Thank you, Philip. Uh, great to have you back on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, for listeners that are wanting to uh, to get in touch, or if they they think that they uh, they would like to be uh, hopefully ahead of the game. Hopefully they're not calling after uh, an incident, but I know you deal with those things too. Um, how do they get in touch? Look, you can uh, send me an email. So P Whitmore, P W H I T M O R E at kpmg.co.nz. Uh, give me a phone call. Um, 0936759931. Doesn't matter where I'm in the country, and I'm often travelling around the place. It'll get hold of me. Nice. That's awesome. All right. Well, great, great to catch up. Thanks everybody for listening in. Make sure you uh, you subscribe to the show if you may be listening to this through a web player. And of course, you can track a New Zealand Tech Podcast down across LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, and and varying other uh, social networks and so on. So uh, yeah, thanks everyone. Catch you next week. See ya. Thanks a lot. New Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.